Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, Jake Griffith, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the U of M is expected to announce the four finalists for president. District court judges will be busy this Valentine's Day. The U of M women's gymnastics team is off to a strong start, but first. A mild, dry winter has temperatures reaching record highs and added concerns surrounding wildfire danger. Eminence Jake Griffith has this report. Tyler Hasenstein with the National Weather Service in Chanhassen says the weather pattern El Nino is partially responsible for why Minnesota has endured such a mild winter. It has definitely been an abnormal season overall, and um, this is kind of the effects of El Nino have been kind of drawn out over the course of the season. Um, kind of the, the combination of lack of snow cover, warmer temperatures in other portions of the season, which leads to warmer ground temperatures, kind of all have a part to play. Um, and while, while it can't be the cause of everything, it is definitely a contributing factor. Um, so in the case of kind of today's warm stretch and, and the warm stretch we'll be seeing for the next week or so, um, really what it is is kind of the lack of snow cover. We don't really have deep frost penetration in the ground, so um, the ground can warm up pretty quickly, especially when we get sunny skies like this. Um, all of that kind of contributes to the warmer than normal conditions. Is this weather that we see sticking around um, at least right now, this warm stretch is going to continue for at least another week. Um, there are some hints of a system towards next weekend that could shift things up a little bit, um, but kind of the the overarching weather conditions and the weather patterns that we're seeing kind of continue this stretch through at least the middle of February before it begins to break up. So uh, at least a week, maybe a couple weeks, and then uh, we may see a return back towards uh, more typical conditions, which at that point in mid-February would be highs in kind of the upper 20s and low temperatures in the low teens. The continued unseasonably warm temperatures have wildlife officials raising concerns about fire danger. Nick Petrak is with the Superior National Forest. With it being a, a drier milder winter, are there concerns that that could change the fire, a wildfire outlook for Minnesota this year? Yes, there is a concern. So we continually monitor weather patterns. We saw a dry fall when we were doing some of our prescribed burning. And then as we transitioned into uh, December and now into January, we have a definitely a lack of snowfall on the ground. Um, and that kind of translates to the snowpack translates to water moisture in our fuels and what it also does is with the lack of a heavy snowpack it allows our fine fuels such as the grass and some of the other uh, herbaceous fuel types to to stand upright more instead of being compacted down onto the forest floor. Uh, the reason that's important is oftentimes our tall grass is the carrier for surface fires and rates of spread with taller grass seem to increase as opposed to it being matted down. Um, our outlook for January, February, and March, according to our intelligence, shows uh, above normal temperatures and below normal precipitation. So, so very mild, the snowpack, the forest still has anywhere between four and six inches of snow cover throughout the forest just south of the forest and west of the forest that diminishes quickly um, and that's something that, that we're keeping an eye on throughout the state of Minnesota and specifically um, I'm tasked with watching the, the natu U.S. National 
the yes forest service ground dnr climatologist pete boule says minnesota's early spring wildfire season could be a particular area of worry well you know uh the bulk of our wildfires in minnesota take place before uh spring green up so uh when the grass is uh, dead on the ground so in any given any year uh given the right conditions we could have a a, a, a pretty active spring fire season so just having the snow on the ground, what it could do is uh, might not flatten the grasses as much. They might be still standing up. So uh, that could be an issue uh, when spring comes if, they, if, they, if, if we don't get any snow. And that's a big if. we still got to go through about two more months of winter to find that out. So I'll have to wait and see. Always something to keep an eye on. It was very beneficial. We got the rains in December. You know, the, the rainstorms we had around Christmas went right into the ground. There was no frost in the ground back then. So I really did much to replenish that soil moisture. Now we're starting to freeze the soil uh, here on campus here. We have 13 inches of frost in the ground right now and uh, because it's scant snow cover, so the cold air is very easy to penetrate the ground. As Nick Petrak says, one preventative measure when it comes to fighting wildfires, prescribed burns. So that we took advantage of the little... Um, with the weather patterns and the current fuel conditions to be able to implement some of our prescribed fires. Um, that's something that we're very careful on monitoring in order to implement our prescribed fire program. So sometimes when the, the fire season, the wildfire season may not be as hot and heavy for initial attack, um, our prescribed fire season is. Uh, in northern Minnesota, we try to do uh, prescribed fires when the conditions are right, and oftentimes that has a tendency to overlap with wildfire seasons. The wildfire season, even though it started off slow, uh, we remained in a pretty good drought throughout the course of June. We saw a little bit of relief during the midsummer and then transitioned to another dry pattern in the fall. Um, we just did not have the ignitions, uh, ignition component on the forest. For, for an abundance of wildfires in 2023. Thanks, Jake. More Minnesota Matters after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. The University of Minnesota Board of Regents has to make an important decision. Choose the next president of Minnesota's land-grant institution of higher learning, and it's expected that next Friday, February 9th, we will know the names of the finalists. Eminence Bill Werner talked with the Regent Mary Davenport from Mankato, who chaired the search committee. 
Tasha, Regent Davenport says there were 46 applicants for University of Minnesota president. The committee narrowed it down to 13 for interviews. One person withdrew, so the search committee interviewed 12 applicants, and they forwarded four lead candidates to the full Board of Regents, which is reviewing the candidates' materials before next Friday's meeting. What happens next is we come up to February 9th at the board meeting, and we will discuss the candidates in a de-identified names, uh, with de-identified manner, so with no names, um, which is um, required under the Minnesota Data Privacy Act. Mm -hmm. And so um, the board then will have a discussion, de-identified, and will vote to select finalists to be interviewed. So um, the names of the finalists then are public right after that vote. And then um, we're looking at right away the week of February 12th uh, that each of the finalists will visit all of our five campuses in the University of Minnesota system. So that's a that's a road trip. And uh, um, those visits um, on each campus, Crookston, um, Duluth, Morris, Rochester, of course, the Twin Cities will be probably about two to three hours per campus. Mm -hmm. And it's a time for um, students, faculty, staff, and general public are invited to attend these series of forums. And then we're asking for feedback. So just like we did with the listening session, the board is interested in um, the feedback that um, the public provides on each of the finalists. And um, these will be um, live streamed and available so people can watch it even if they cannot be present um, physically. Um, and then we'll have evaluation forms both um, at each forum and online for people to provide feedback. Regent Davenport says after the Board of Regents reviews comments from the public, then the finalists will interview with the board. We asked, do you anticipate a decision in, in February? Yes, mm -hmm. by the end of February, we, mm -hmm. I do. I, I realize that the names are not public yeah. at this point, and they, and they won't be until mm -hmm. the Board of Regents makes a, a decision um, on the finalists. And I assume that the... the, the folks that move forward in this process, it might be four or it might be fewer than four. Would that be, I mean, I assume the board has that option. Would that be correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah that, that's correct. One of the issues, that you might or might not be able to answer this, uh, but uh -huh. uh, that has come up in discussions um, is, first of all, um, the number of finalists, because mm -hmm. um, that was small uh, in the selection of, of the last president of the University of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I, I believe Ms. Gable was the was the only one, right, who was yeah. advanced forward. Um, it, do you see that as a possible scenario playing out, uh, or do you expect that there's going to be more than one um, finalist determined by the Board of Regents on, on the February 9th? I anticipate more than one. Um, I'm very optimistic. Uh, the candidates are... Um, just excellent. And, you know, it's two-way. They are very interested in the University of Minnesota. This is like one of the top jobs out there. So um, it's very desirable. And um, I, I don't anticipate um, having just one. 
other question I have, and you sure. can probably anticipate this one as well, um, comments made uh, by various uh, people in the political sphere, lawmakers, and, and even, even Governor Walls. I just think my advice is, is that um, we're going to need someone who, and I do think this idea of someone who knows Minnesota in that regards, who understands the university, I really do think that matters. And then I think you got to develop a relationship with folks up here bipartisanly to make that happen. I mean, it's just a necessity of that job. I mean, that job may be more political than my job, um, you know, in terms of how you have to manage all the stakeholders. And that, that's going to be a, a, a prerequisite of that new president. That's Governor Walz's comment as former President Joan Gable was ending her tenure at the University of Minnesota last June. We asked Regent Davenport about the governor's recommendations. I have two, two questions of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do all the candidates indeed have that level of familiarity? And uh, the other question I have for you is, are any of them from Minnesota? Are you able to answer um, that? So I, um, I don't think I can answer if they're from Minnesota. I, I thought perhaps um, not, but you understand as a reporter, <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But I, I would say they all have an affinity for Minnesota and um, uh, and understand the position profile thoroughly, um, I'd say that. Um, what is your as as an assessor of them, a preliminary assessor, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be obviously voting on, on the ninth of yeah. February as well. Um, what is your assessment of their? Uh, ability uh, to deal with the political environment in Minnesota. Obviously, a big part of the president of the University of Minnesota's responsibilities is establishing a relationship with the Minnesota legislature yep. and, and the governor. Yep. Uh, what is your assessment of, of the four candidates in that regard? Sure. I would say that the committee um, was very attuned, going back to the profile and back to the listening sessions, where that was loud and clear relationship builder. And I would say um, all four have a track record of great um, relationship building, bridge building, being active within the public sector. I'm feeling confident that they have the ability, desire, and um, personal presence to connect with legislators and policymakers as well as um, university stakeholders and community. And Tasha, Regent Mary Davenport tells us the target date for the next president of the University of Minnesota to take the reins is right around the start of the next fiscal year, which would be July 1st. MNN's Bill Werner and U of M Regent Mary Davenport. Time for a quick break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Dozens of Minnesota couples are getting married on Valentine's Day this year by district court judges. On this week's show, MNN's Brent Palm talks with a state court official about these free weddings in county courthouses. Go into the chapel and we're gonna get married. Kim Pletica, Director of Public Affairs for the Minnesota Judicial Branch, Thanks for joining us today. Kind of cool. I know courts across the state, or several of them at least, are going to perform weddings for free on Valentine's Day. Tell me just a little bit about the background of, of how this all came to fruition. Well, Hennepin, Hennepin County District Court started this several years ago, 
and it has been really popular in Hennepin County. In fact, Hennepin County already has all of its Valentine's Day wedding slots filled. So this year, Ramsey County District Cart decided to get in on the act also, and they'll have 32 weddings that they'll be able to perform over the noon hour on Valentine's Day. Wow. And it's free of charge, I see, which is pretty cool. And then we are a statewide radio news network, Kim, and we got plenty of listeners up in the Northeast. It looks like St. Louis County is part of it this year as well. Yes, it sure is. We have one judge in Duluth um, at the courthouse in Duluth, St. St. Louis County Courthouse in Duluth. He will be performing weddings also on Valentine's Day. And Judge Anderson in Virginia also will be performing weddings during the day. Her weddings are by appointment, as are the judges in Duluth. So you have to call and sign up for them, um, but they'll be able to do them during the day. So it started in Hennepin. It's in Ramsey. But if it's way up north, it seems like kind of a popular offering. It is a popular offering. But now that we have Duluth and Virginia doing it also, I am hopeful that maybe we can persuade some other district courts in the state to maybe do it next year too. And yeah, you know, I think I've seen maybe pictures of it going on um, in Hennepin County in previous years. So uh, people hear this, uh, what, what do they need to do if they're interested? So if you're interested in getting married on Valentine's Day, the first thing you have to do is get a marriage license in the county in which you want to get married. So if that's in Duluth, you'll need to go to the St. Louis County Courthouse and get yourself a marriage license. And then with that license, you'll be able to get yourself married on Valentine's Day. And the same goes for Ramsey County as well. If you want to get married in Ramsey County, you also need to make sure that you have a marriage license prior to the day of the wedding. Okay. When we talked earlier, you you told me something interesting too. Uh, What if I'm a listener who's in wilmer or hutchinson you mentioned that you don't have to live in these counties but you probably have to get the license there so yes you do not need to live in the county in order to get married in it so if for instance you live in kuchishin county you are more than welcome to go to st louis county and get married or ramsey county and get married on valentine's day the only thing you need to do is make sure you get that marriage license ahead of time so that you are okay and ready to get married And when we say um, these are free, I mean, obviously, when you're doing a private wedding with all your family, you're spending thousands of dollars. But for free, you're saving at least a few bucks, right? You certainly are. And, of course, you are more than welcome to bring your family with you. So this is not a, a private ceremony in that it needs to be just you and the person with whom you're getting married. You can certainly bring your family and friends. In fact, we encourage you to do that. Judges love this. So it's okay to celebrate in a district court building. Yes, and and the beauty is, for instance, St. Louis County Courthouse is absolutely beautiful, as are these other courthouses. So it's lovely to be able to go. You can take your wedding pictures downtown in the city or if you're up in Duluth overlooking the lake. So it's a beautiful way to, I think, memorialize your wedding, doing it on Valentine's Day, sort of a a fun thing to do um, that's also very beautiful and and very memorable. Well, Kim Pletica with the Minnesota Judicial Branch, anything else we need to know about these Valentine's Day weddings? Again, um, 
you, you don't have to live in the county in which you want to get married, but you absolutely need that marriage license in the county. So if you're thinking of doing this on Valentine's Day, the first thing you need to do is sign up and then go get that marriage license because you have to have it in order to get married. Um, and other than that, um, we're excited to see you. We're so excited to have people get married on Valentine's Day. We're excited to do this. It's a really great way for people to be involved with the court system and understand that we're here for them. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Eminence Brent Palm and Kim Pledica with the Minnesota Judicial Branch of Public Affairs. Time for our last break, more Minnesota Matters in 60 seconds. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. The University of Minnesota women's gymnastics team is 6-0 to start the season and ranked 16th in the nation. Head coach Jenny Hansen spoke to MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm on why they've started so well. I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest, going into the season. I know we had a great group of young people um, working with us, but we have a lot of new faces that are, are making their debut. And so I didn't have a, a whole lot of expectations to start the season. I knew we have uh, great potential, um, but pleasantly surprised at where we're at. Um, I think our consistency has been really um, impressive up to this point. Um, but to kind of go back, I don't think people thought we would be as high as we are right now. Um, granted, um, we lost eight seniors last year. You know, and I think that, you know, anytime you lose that amount of people, you think it's going to be a big rebuilding. And it's just been really fun to see new people step in. Um, seniors and upperclassmen take on new roles in addition to our new freshmen. So, um, yeah, we're in a, in a really good place right now. And as the season gets rolling, are you seeing uh, some of the, the new athletes that have come on board just continue to gain confidence then, too, as they experiences success? Yes, I think for sure. I think they're figuring it out, which is always the hope, especially when you've got freshmen, is kind of for them to see how things work. How do you make lineups? How do you keep your spot lineups? All of those things I think are important for them too. Is as much as you tell them what it's like until you experience it for yourself, you don't quite know. Um, but I think they're starting to see that now, which is really exciting. And as a coach, as you mentioned, you weren't sure what to expect. So as the season started, um, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, do you as a coach go into a year saying – I, I want to finish in the top three here, or let's just see day-to-day -day improvement, see where we go. And then as the season, now you're 6-0, and oh, maybe that shifts. How did yeah. how has that worked for you? Well, I think for our program, we always want to be a program that contends for a Big Ten championship. Um, and obviously, that depends on your competitors big time and whether, you know, where you fit into that um, 
fit into the Big Ten Conference. Um, but I, I do think we've shifted a little bit. You know, I think we've had good goals in the beginning, um, but we were kind of, let's kind of see how the season plays out before we continue moving forward. But I think we're in a really good place with this group, and we've got a lot of room to grow, which I think is is even more exciting. And you've played a pretty competitive schedule, too. Yeah. It isn't like you've, you know, run through 6-0 and oh against nobodies, right? Yeah, no, great teams. We've had uh, great competitors. Um, first meet right away, we, you know, we face a, a couple top 20 competitors right away. And so that was a really good statement, I felt like, for us, right, coming out of the gate. So And 2-0 and oh in Big Ten? Yes. 2-0, and oh, right? Yeah, 2-0. Two two and and oh. oh. yep. um, and so as, as you uh, look at that now, how does the Big Ten kind of stack in? I know Michigan's always good. I think Ohio State's yep. Looks like they're off to a fine start, Michigan yep. State, maybe. Yep. Yeah. I think those three that you mentioned right now, those are the top three ranked teams in the Big Ten. I think we're fourth in there right now. Um, I th- and there's there's a lot of other great teams that are, are continuing to, to find their rhythm this time of the year. So the Big Ten is continues to get better and better each and every year. And there's so many teams that, you know, could win a Big Ten championship or move to the national championships. Um, so it is it's exciting for our, our conference this time. Um, just the growth. And so you mentioned that you always start the year wanting to uh, to contend for a Big Ten title. You're hoping to. Uh, now you feel like you're you are a contender. You feel like you got a shot. I think with the growth we see in this team, I think it it definitely is possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So you've got all kinds of uh, good things going on. Penn State, a road. Speaking of the Big Ten, another yeah. pretty good Big Ten team, right? Right yeah. in the top thirty, I think I saw. Yeah. Um, and and back out on the road. So what do the Nittany Lions bring this weekend? So not at home, but on the road. Yeah. Well, it'll be our first dual away meet, so a new challenge in that way. And um, just the order of competition is a little bit different. We go bars, vault, floor, beam. You know, so ending the competition on balance beam, I think, is a new challenge in itself. Um, but I think. Uh, being in this meet will be a little bit different because we will feel more of the home advantage for Penn State than probably we did in our first away competition. So I think we've got some new challenges that uh, we'll have to adapt to. But uh, obviously, you know, very excited to continue moving through the Big Ten schedule. And um, Penn State's a great team, so it should be a really exciting meet. You've got uh, three home meets in the books, right? Yeah, three. Yes. And been well attended. Um, yeah. There was a Monday night Iowa match that was that was um, it was on TV, which I. I I heard from uh, several people that was kind of fun. My in-laws, in fact, were kind of stumbled upon it okay. and ended up spending the night watching and really Excellent. enjoyed it. So, um, which one, we can talk TV. I, I have that on my list a little later in terms of uh, how important TV can be uh, for everything. But um, the other two uh, were weekend uh, duels, and you yeah. drew th- almost 4,000 right this past weekend, yeah. which is great. So the attendance continues to be a strong point. Yeah, it's something that we continue to work on. We know it, it brings so much to our team, you know, when they have the crowd behind them and that environment, uh, it just it makes it so fun for them, and they they feed off of it. And so for us, that's important. We want to have as many of our fans there cheering them on, supporting them, um, and certainly having that home crowd advantage, it makes a difference. So yeah, we really we love having as many fans as we have, and we want to keep it going and not to get the uh, the cart ahead of the horse because you've got Penn State this weekend yeah. but uh, looming uh, the following week is it, it, I know each year you look at the schedule and you try to pick out one where hey let's fill this place up mm-hmm. and uh, you've got uh, one of the top teams in the country in Michigan yep. coming to town a week from Saturday yes yeah 
Uh, always a top team, you know, and always a big draw. You know, we are also celebrating 50 years of Gopher Gymnastics that night. And earlier in the year when I showed our alums our schedule, I go, which meet do you want uh, alumni night? And they said, Michigan. You know, that was a big selling point for them. Like, we want to be there when Michigan's here because it is, it's both teams are so competitive and we've had great competitions against one another the last few years. And so we're hoping we'll continue to bring out the best in one another and just have a fabulous competition at the PAV. That's Gopher Gymnastics coach Jenny Hansen with MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. For more information on Gopher Gymnastics, you can go to gophersports.com. Again, that's gophersports.com. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. You can also listen to Minnesota Matters on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel. Have a great week.